0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 81st episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is thriving as a sensitive entrepreneur. I'm joined by Christine Kane. She is the author of The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur, an unconventional success plan for the highly creative, secretly sensitive, and wildly ambitious. The publisher is Ben Bella Books. Christine is the founder of Up Level U, a multi-million-dollar business coaching company, which evolved from her 15-year career as a touring singer-songwriter with her own record label. Both businesses, by the way, were built without any investors. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And it will be my pleasure to have you as my guest. Thank you so much. Thanks, so, man. give us a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind. A oh,
1: brief overview of the book. Well, I, as a coach, work with a lot of people who start businesses based in their passion or their creativity. And one of the things I recognized as I coached, as I worked with people, was that there are two tracks in any business and one I call the strategy track and that's all the usual stuff of having a business and the other I call the soul track and it doesn't necessarily mean that I know what a soul means it really refers to the soft stuff of having a business meaning the mindset the stuff that triggers you all the old patterns that come up and all the things that really can deflate your confidence and so this book could be kind of called the inner game of running a business. And I didn't want to do the usual mindset, you know, standard prescriptions that everyone delivers. I wanted to really go into some of the deeper challenges that come up for people. And when they can really face that and use that as the fodder for their business success, I call it a soul-sourced business because your business is always speaking to you and the business, your business is the playground of your own expansion. And when you look at it that way, it can create an entirely different outcome and higher levels of success than you ever dreamed of simply because you're framing it from a different perspective.
0: Okay. Well, I, for one, must say I welcome this. uh, As I confessed to you privately, there are way too many instances of what I would call kind of machismo entrepreneurship, uh, kind of akin to Rambo and uh, testosterone rock and roll music, for that matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I for one, don't relate. Now, you've said that a lot of people have approached you really glad about the fact that you are taking the soul track and giving it a lot of priority. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about what those fans have said to you?
1: Well, it's funny because when I pitched uh, the book, when when my agent and I went around New York and, and we were doing pitches, a lot of people were real resistant to the soul idea in business. They were resistant to even having the word secretly sensitive in the subtitle. And a lot of people just didn't think that an audience existed for the book and that, you know, that person even had a business. And what I've discovered over, you know, 11 years now of coaching people in businesses is that. They are wrong. The publishers are wrong. These people do exist and they're so grateful for it. But um, the, and I've completely lost track of your question because I just, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I have to be honest in these moments. Like if I try to just like, you know. Bludgeon my way through. I will never. I will never be in integrity. So your question was about being sensitive. Yeah. So yeah. So what I've heard. And
0: and those fans that did come to you over these eleven years and how do you know you have those? Yes.
1: Well, I had a client say to me because I, I haven't really put this publicly out there. I've done the usual, like, here's some strategy tips and here's stuff about writing content and that kind of thing. And then one year, one of my clients, I I just taught a big session in front of my top tier clients, people who have companies, people who are not just trying to get started. And one woman came up to me, she'd been working with me for about five years at that point, and she said, Christine, you need to bring this out into the public. Everyone needs this. And I just, it was a brave thing because it's not a strategic book. It wasn't a book called Up Level, you know, that leads people strategically into the funnels of my, of my company. It's, it's a book that was what I really thought needed to be taught to people so they could understand how they could be exactly who they are and have a business.
0: Well, I absolutely love the premise, and I love the fact that you have the daring to put soul out there. I mean, I started my company 20-some years ago. I read an article in a Cornell University publication talking about the breakthroughs in brain science and how much we are emotional decision makers, and I basically said, no shit, of course we are, (laughs) but the business world is not waking up to that. They think we're these rational decision makers, and I said, essentially, I don't know if there's a business here, but it's simply so interesting and so true that I'm going to pursue it and hopefully I can widen the business lexicon beyond the strategy stuff and you know all the hard numbers and say the soft stuff actually matters a lot. So whether it's the heart, whether it's the soul, uh, it's not just the mind and it's not just the wallet. I mean, we need to broaden the universe. So I, I think it's great. So speaking of soft being hard, because that's one of your rules, actually, <laughs> uh, that you offer. And I know Tom Peters, and, uh, I was delighted to see that he actually says that the other 95% of business is the human part. So it seems to me, your book's talking a lot about the, the human part. So it's numbers, but it's more than numbers. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the human part from your point of view.
1: Okay. So Tom Peters, I, I think I, I love that man and I love that he, he does exactly what I describe in the book. Um, there's a. I call I say that every business has two tracks and one business one, one track is the strategy track and the other track is the soul track. And I don't claim to know what anyone means by soul. It's just what I call the soft stuff. And one of my I have a new ops manual in the intro of the book and one of the little tenets is quoting Tom Peters. And it says, soft is the new hard. And what Tom Peters says is, soft is hard. Meaning, all of the human elements are what bring the hard results. And so what I've seen is that when we talk about strategy, everyone wants to focus business on strategy, 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 and how to do a tactic and how to place a Facebook ad and how to write great copy. And that's fine. But running alongside it where I've seen most people get in trouble in their business and where most people get stuck is in this thing that I call the soul track. And Tom Peters says the same basic thing when he's dealing with companies. I'm dealing typically with entrepreneurs who run a company or run a solo business and it's their mindset. It's their old patterns. It's their old little fixations. It's old little traumas and ways they run their business where they get in their own way. And when they can start seeing that very clearly, it's where the results start happening. And we start seeing major increases, but it's not because they had the right tactic. It's because they saw themselves and they saw where they were getting in their own way and they were able to break through and stretch the limits.
0: Well, I, I think passion sells and conviction sells. And I, I don't know how you can get to conviction without, in some ways, hopefully tying into uh, the soul track here. You, you have a comment in the book. There's several of them that I'm going to come to sooner or later, but one I'll, I'll start with here. Uh, you said, friends want your safety more than your expansion. <laughs> I'm would be i, I I'm not disagreeing with you for a second. I, I can probably add a couple of stories there, but I wanted to give you a moment to uh, elucidate what you meant there.
1: Well, the the I, when i wrote that what i talked about was um I, I believe i was referring to how coaching and mentorship can really help you see past some of the old ways you've sort of settled and tolerated a lot of sure. things in your life. And so our our models of friendship uh, are typically, okay, do you hate the same people I hate? Do you get to, like, do I believe your sob story and you believe my sob story? Do I not celebrate, you know, like we don't want to get too big for our britches. And so we kind of reach a settling point in our friendships. And as entrepreneurs, we we need people around us who really push us, they push us to celebrate things because a lot of us don't do enough of that. Or they hold the space for us to take a chance because our friends are like, yeah, I don't know if you should really do that. I don't know if you can be, you know, a coach or, uh, you know, have a business. I've never seen you do this before. And so what I'm saying is that a lot of times the translations of all the people around us are not really supporting our discomfort and they're not supporting our risk, which is a lot of what we have to do as entrepreneurs is we have to be able to step into uncertainty. We have to be able to stretch past the comfort zones. And so that's what that statement is all about.
0: Okay. Well, I love it. I had a friend who definitely pushed me further. I spent about six months putting together a methodology to try to get to emotions and he blew it up basically in one sentence. He said, Remind me again why you had this passion for starting the company. And I dutifully told him like I was a man walking the plank. <laughs> and I got done. And I said, So what's the problem, Joe? You're killing me. You just gotta tell me what the problem is. He said, The problem is everything you've told me so far and how you're gonna approach this is based on the idea that people think their feelings, but they actually feel their feelings. Mm. And I said, well, you're right, Chet, <laughs> I don't have a solution for you tonight, but I'm going to go for a really long walk and uh, maybe one will come to me. And it eventually did, but it was about pushing me further. I would never have had a business had I just settled for how people think their feelings. That would have just been the old traditional approaches, quite honestly. And
1: it's so interesting that one person statement like that, like one person who has a different frame and calls you out can change your life
0: yeah, it's it saved the business. It changed my life. It pushed me farther. Uh, you know, it felt painful at the moment. Uh, but it was everything. Yeah. I mean it was such a tremendous gift um it really I had, was i had that happen when i wanted to be a musician i was right out of
1: college i was living in charlottesville virginia i would go to miller's bar which is where the dave matthews band was getting started they weren't known as the dave matthews band and a dear friend of mine who was a jazz musician named sal segoyan he went off to work for apple but he and i were walking one night in the street and i just i told him my dream of being a musician he, he was the first person who ever said to me Oh, honey, you could totally do that. Like it was just, this. <laughs> he didn't even say, wow, do you know what the chances are? Which is what everyone in my world of the suburbs, suburbs of Washington, D.C. always ever said to me. First time someone actually held the space that I could do something. And it was like a game changer. My whole body just went like, really? <laughs> you think I could do that? And you get someone like that, like, whether it's a coach or a mentor or a friend, it's like they kick the door open. I love that.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. Because I had, in contrast, my parents begging me to go back to corporate life. And I was like, no, no, no. I do yeah, not too. want to do that. <laughs> and, and I had uh, someone I was dating a little bit who, basically, before I moved to San Diego to start the company, brought to our last tennis match uh, a long list of all the statistics of the likely failure rate. And I was like, oh, God. thanks, Liz. That, that's really wonderful. I'm thinking, no wonder I don't want to date you. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's sort of like you got that Han Solo moment of never tell me the odds. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know, just too punitive. I, I, I admire the truth, but give me some hope as well. Yeah. So so you said it, this is another comment from the book is that as entrepreneurs, our success is directly correlated to our ability to be uncomfortable. So I think we're kind of headed there in the conversation, but is there anything that you want to add that you didn't have a moment for just, just a bit ago?
1: Well, I think we come from a culture that's like exactly like your friend, um, the woman who brought you all the reasons, we we seek safety we want like we we aren't really wired up to stretch and to understand that there is no such thing as certainty when it comes right down to it i mean i know you mentioned conviction not everyone has the same level of conviction not everyone knows and yet we are in this trance because we can look back on the life of a steve jobs we can look back on the life of Elon Musk. We can look backward and act as if, oh, they they had the conviction, and most of us we didn't have the conviction. We walked through terrified. We, you know, the first time you step on a stage, the first time you, you know, put your book out there, whatever it might be, the first time you say, "I'm going to take a, I'm going to get clients now," it's terrifying. And not a single person is ever certain, and everyone's level of conviction varies. And so, I would say you have to get to where. Uncomfortable is your norm. Like uncertainty is okay. It's not the, the death of you. And you will fall on your ass sometimes. But the the trajectory is all about how often you're going to pick yourself up and learn from it.
0: Sure. Well, I would say my conviction, just to clarify, was that I knew emotions mattered and I knew that business was wrong for ignoring them. Yes. <laughs> uh, my certainty that I was going to make a living from this uh, was by no means there. I remember telling my staff at one point, just think of us as having landed at Normandy and we're being shot at from the cliffs above. That's great. Uh, we, we don't get to go to Paris. <laughs> we're going to stay on the beach. This is, this is the reality. We have the ocean right behind us and you just have to push forward. And uh, this is what we shall do. I, I have to think that your background as a musician, the fact that, you know, I'm a poet by background. Uh, you know, I never wrote a great poem by by knowing coming out of it what I knew coming in. I, I discovered something along the way. I have to imagine that your songwriting informs greatly how you've approached your, your career as an entrepreneur.
1: Yes, Absolutely. So I wrote the same way you just described. I, I wrote from kind of the inside out. There's different types of writers. Um, when, I did, when I worked with a book coach, she said, some people are outliners and some people are inliners. And she said, you are an inliner. And having that permission <laughs> was a huge thing because some of us find the outline from going deep into the song or the poem or the book and that's kind of how I've done business as well. I am never I've never been one with a 3-year plan or a 5-year plan or a 10-year strategy. I've always been somebody who we, we you know we make a plan as a guess and then we move through and see what happens and let the feedback teach us and let my own feelings show us. And so yeah, I've done I I think without knowing it the way I've made a business happen has been informed from having been an artist and having written songs, but I also had a business as a songwriter. So it was happening even then.
0: Sure. And another thing I I have to think that the, and you're very honest about this and I admire the, the, you know, willingness to be vulnerable and share this. Uh, You mentioned the book that there was a 10 year struggle with bulimia. Yeah. And 10 years is not a short period of time. I I dated someone only in retrospect that I kind of I read an article on bulimia after the relationship was over and said I think she was Kathy was bulimic because it just all the pieces came together but I did not know that and I was not told that during the relationship. Well,
1: many many bright women. I mean, I have I have so many clients. I and the prime the bulk of my clients are women, and most of them I would say most of them have admitted to me that at one point in their lives they were bulimic or had some kind of eating disorder. Or had some kind of abuse in their lives. A lot of times I think the sensitive among us are very smart and very tuned in and they just don't know how to navigate it in their high school teen years, which is where where I was when I was struggling with that. But yes, in the book, I refer to that and I open an entire section with saying that bulimia was my first business mentor, mostly because of what I had to do when I was healing it.
0: And can you can you say more? I I think this is really important ground that is. I mean, I, I have interviewed a lot of authors. No one's ever gone here before.
1: Well, one of the things that when you are like when you're, I've had a lot of people in my life who have had addictions, and when I was first healing bulimia, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where I still live now. And um, I had friends who were healing alcoholism and and that sort of thing. And I used to have this thing where I would say, well, you're lucky because you can give up alcohol or you can give up. I had had a lot of musician friends, obviously, so there was drugs and and that sort of thing. And, And I would envy them. But with food, when you're healing from a food addiction, you don't give up food you can't just say i'm swearing off the stuff and i'm done (laughs) True, true, true enough and granted my logic was a little messed up but um i still had like what i realized though was the fact that i had to develop a new relationship with my body and with food was really the key teacher that I needed, that I personally needed in order to move forward in my life, because I used to have this sort of thing of like segmenting my life and you know, that goes over here and that goes over there. And, and, and what I realized is that in that process is that no, it's it's all there for the teaching. And I had to develop a new relationship. And what it taught me without, I didn't know this at the time, I can look back, like I said, looking back is a great perspective bringer. Um, I could look back and say the fact that I had to develop a relationship with this made me realize that everything is about developing a relationship with it. I see people who avoid money In their business, or they avoid sitting down to actually write, or they avoid stillness and silence and they avoid their own wisdom. And my job as a coach is to say, no, you're in relationship with your business. You're in relationship with money. You're in relationship with that client the more you can lean in and be present to all of that is going to be directly correlated with your success. And that's where I've seen the success really come in for me and what my clients have told me time and time again has changed everything for them because a lot of them avoid all the stuff that feels hard.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's so profoundly true. I mean, it's just, you know, human nature is that we want to feel good about ourselves and we want to attract allies. Mm-hmm. And that is that's a huge driver for us. So anything that detracts from those two or feels threatens, it's almost the natural instinct to turn away and not take the look. And yes, you can have someone like my, my, my friend Joe who you know was instrumental, but you, you have to sometimes you just have to get there entirely on your own. It well, even with Joe, you
1: had to go off and walk on your own and think on your own. He couldn't go do the work with you. Like my yeah, and my friend yeah. Sal, you know, yeah, you can do this. He didn't go do it with me. He went, you know, then I was on my own to say, could I really do this? Like the door gets kicked open, but you're going to walk that path on your own. And entrepreneurship is a is a lonely path at times.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, another occasion, uh, I haven't usually told people this. Um, I called Joe and I said, I'm thinking about calling the company strategic aesthetics. And he said, oh, that's a fabulous name with sarcasm. And then he said, it's a fabulous name. If you want to go broke down. Um, and about a week later and like three in the morning, I woke up and said, it's sensory logic. And I called him and he said, yep, it's sensory logic. But no, no praise, no congratulations. He just said, "Now here's your next issue you have to solve," and uh, you know, and, and I kept that's, moving. Oh, that's great!
1: I need to sit down and have a coffee with Joe.
0: <laughs> we all do. So, speaking of these moments, you said sometimes you know you just have to. You got to keep moving. You got to make things happen. But sometimes the movement is very. I guess I'll go back to your thing about outliners and inliners because you mentioned going fetal. And what does going (laughs) fetal mean for you? And it's significance.
1: Okay. So the the book, let me just sort of say, so people understand the book is divided into four parts and it's all based on an acronym. And the acronym is I'm in, which is a mantra we say here at up level with our clients. And I'm in is that idea of leaning in. So the first, the, the acronym starts with initiating intention goes into managing your power. The next I is interpreting circumstances, and then the N is navigating decisions. And so going fetal is part of a little bit of managing your power, meaning managing your power means what are you doing with yourself and your emotions and all the responses and reactions and triggers you deal with in a day. And in that machismo business model, in that data-centered left brain business model, we're not given the chance to really experience some of the hard hits we take as entrepreneurs. And so ideally, what I, what I teach people in one of the sections of the book is that you always want to find your way to neutral meaning having a neutral take in how you translate things and interpret things going on in your business but when you can't do that and you're just trying to machismo your way it doesn't work when you have an energy that is saying i hurt or this sucks or i'm pissed <laughs> or whatever it might be and so sure. going fetal that's my way of putting you're down for the count you give yourself the space to experience The energy, the emotion, whatever it is, and you consciously do it. I don't mean you like do like what Tony Schwartz calls the gray zone where you kind of half ass it. You really give yourself the space to experience whatever is coursing through your body the hurt because you, a big, you know, proposal you put out there got rejected and someone else got it. Uh, Whatever it might be, you give yourself that space. I don't care what kind of a hard ass you are. And the I talk about what it means to go fetal. I describe it in there. I don't think you need me to go into that, but that's really what it means. And it's my semi-playful way of doing it because as a musician, I was 15 years as a musician, rejection was kind of a norm and I had to get good at it. And my very first coach who had been an actor in New York City, used to say to me, you know, you got to start loving this thing. You got to start loving rejection. And he's like, "As (laughs) as an actor, I had to love auditions. I had to love rejection. It had to be part of the game. And my way of dealing with it was as a super sensitive person, I gave myself, I would say 15 minutes in bed, in fetal, feel this. And that's what helped me get back up as opposed to you know, grow a pair or what all the things that a lot of people say, that's not going to serve somebody who, who has a little bit more sensitivity to them. So go fetal is my way of saying to my clients, give yourself the space. This hurt. You spent months on that proposal. Let yourself have that because otherwise you are going to walk around with scars that aren't going to help you be your most strategic, healthy self as an entrepreneur.
0: Okay. Fair enough. And I imagine this has some correlation to something else you mentioned that uh, people have to deal with, which you use the acronym of CRAP, and it's the cycle of reactivity and panic. So does going fetal come as a nice way out of that cycle, or is that kind of got its own own kind of trajectory? That's its own
1: thing. That is something that is a symptom of a business owner who's not doing a lot of what I'm describing here.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: The cycle of reactivity and panic is just where you have your, you know, your your are feast or famine. Basically, it's like a ton of clients and I can do it all and I'm not going to hire anybody. And then you don't market, you don't market. And then all of a sudden all the clients are gone and then you're like, oh crap. And then you end up taking a million other clients. So it's reactivity, it's panic. And I just gave it an acronym of the cycle of reactivity and panic where somebody really hasn't gotten strong with their marketing and their sequencing and how they manage their power.
0: Okay. So in all these people that you've, you know, you worked with as clients, can you give us maybe a few of the hurdles that you've seen or maybe a personal story that really stays with you where you got someone, you know, past where they had been? I, I think people would, would enjoy hearing that.
1: So are you in terms of the cycle of reactivity and panic or in just oh, in general? Oh,
0: oh, in general in okay. general. It, it just maybe one, one story from all your years that really stays with you that you'd like to share. You know, I'm going to pick here. one
1: that popped right into my head because her first book is coming out in, in a month. Um, her name is Sue Ludwig, and she is the president and founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists. She started with me. She was I have a lot of clients who work with me for eight and nine and, and now 10 and 11 years. And Sue started with me when she had the idea her business. And she was a neonatal therapist working at a NICU in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she came to me at one of my first retreats. And she said, I I had this idea. I I think somebody should start an association for neonatal therapists. And I just said, what, why not you? And, (laughs) and she went, you know, we, we started, she started, but she became my client and she was, it was that whole idea of, I need permission. I need uh, accreditation. I need something from the medical authorities on high, and she had none of that. And it was all about this strategy track and soul track. She she worked on her marketing slowly. She built her list slowly. She had her first event, like, and now she is she is going to be a published author. She has sponsorships from major pharmaceutical companies, from major uh, hospital companies, and her, she has a. Thousands and thousands of members they have. They just had their 10th annual conference. Like, she is just, she's, I, th- I think she's reached the point where she's more successful than me, which is what my goal is with all of my clients. And um, the point being with something like that is getting over that part of you that says, but I'm just, I'm just a this, I'm just little old me. And it's not because she overcame it in one fell swoop. She overcame it by taking step by step by step and really recognizing that her marketing and her voice her message and her passion really truly trumped everything that that we think we need which is all the permission and all the rules and accreditations and all those sorts of things she did it based on that alone and her book sure. is coming out it's called tiny humans
0: okay and, and and the vc money i mean i've really been appalled to discover from uh, other guests how much they tend to still favor male entrepreneurs, oh, she didn't and, get any. She yeah. did
1: not she started with nothing and then we started like we together we started working on like what does corporate sponsorship look like for her events and it it's only one part of her income stream. The rest is membership and all the courses they've created and how much how much credibility they've created in her industry. She does not get VC stuff anymore. it's just it's really just all about um. All about the corporate sponsorships and and her members and her passion, like I said. So it's pretty yeah. fascinating what she's done.
0: No, no, that that's absolutely that's absolutely great. Yeah. So I want to thank you, Christine, so much for having been my guest. This is episode number eighty-one. Uh, Thriving as a sensitive entrepreneur, uh, Christine Kane is the author of the Soul Sourced Entrepreneur: An Unconventional Success Plan for the Highly Creative, Secretly Sensitive, and Wildly Ambitious. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's and sensorylogic.com, or go to the New Books Network, type in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, and you'll find them there. Finally, I like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, of all people, I took one from the Israeli general and leader, Moshe Dayan, because he said, freedom is the oxygen of the soul. Until next time, be kind and stay safe.